making Steve Jobs. And it has changed our world what these things have done for us. Not all for the good, but it's definitely changed our world. And uh, it's not Al Gore who invented the uh, Internet, so he said. It's uh, people like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and a few others. Steve Jobs was an amazing entrepreneur. His death in October 2011 left a gaping hole at Apple Computers, which he had co-founded with Steve Wozniak and Mike Markula in 1977. He led the corporation to tremendous financial success in two different time periods of his life. And in between, he was let go for about 10 years uh, when it wasn't doing so well. And uh, he was relieved of his duties. He was a, a driven man, a passionate man. He was a hard man to work for because he required total dedication and loyalty. Even then, he didn't always share with the rewards of success with his employees. Sometimes he made sure he got a little bit more percentage of those rewards. Perhaps the greatest contribution he made to America and to the world was his relentless, unshakable zeal for doing things no one had ever done before. There's got to be a better way. There's got to be a new way that things can be done. He's unwilling to settle for what was working, even if it was working well. And he demanded innovation, demanded creativity from himself and his co-workers. I think the movie Jobs does a pretty good job telling his story. Uh, I don't know all the ins and outs of his life, and you hear people always say, well, they took a lot of license, uh, poetic license with that one, but I think accurately portrays pretty much who he was, what he did. Steve Jobs' story starts in 1970s as a student. Uh, he meets up with Mike Wozniak, and, and uh, they start by building 50 state-of-the-art motherboards in his dad's garage. And soon they get some funding, they get started, they know they developed that as Apple One, and then comes Apple Two. How many of you remember this baby? <laughs> Suddenly propelled Apple to the forefront of the industry. The teens, the younger guys today have no idea what that is. What is that crazy thing on the screen? The Apple II with several refinements served well for 16 years. <laughs> That's why we know that one. In 1984, he introduced the Macintosh, known affectionately as the Mac. I mean, you remember that one? That was the first one I remember because my dad got one of these. His, his business, uh, Honeywell, gave him the ability to, to buy half of it. They would buy the other half of it. And it was in our house. It was so cool. Uh, no color. Uh, I had no idea what to do with that mouse thing and all, but it was really, really cool. This was what he called his greatest success because it made computers accessible to everyone. It was, as he said, the computer for the rest of us. <laughs> And uh, so now you pointed and clicked a mouse instead of having to know all that code or instructions. In 1985, he was fired as CEO. Apple was losing money, so he's let go. And uh, he was not rehired for uh, 10 or 11 years, and then only as a consultant. During those 10 years, he went and worked on a project of, uh, called Next. It was a high-priced business computer. He also bought Lucasfilm's uh, computer animation and uh, renamed it Pixar. How many of you know Pixar films? Yeah, you know that name because very, very popular. After he first demonstrated with computers, you could animate things much neater. I uh, did a short film. Disney and him collaborated, and they created Toy Story, and they created other things, Finding Nemo, Monsters, Inc., and a whole bunch of other big, successful animated feature films. Eventually, Jobs sold Pixar films back to Disney. Uh, he had bought it. 
originally from Lucasfilms for $10 million. He sold it to Disney for $7 billion. Uh, this is what his creativity and stuff could do. And this is what he could create as a businessman. In 1997, Apple Computers was losing $700 million a quarter. <laughs> That's a lot of money. And uh, he was asked to come back as the temporary, as the acting interim CEO, and then eventually became full CEO. Uh, Apple had been edged out by Microsoft and IBM and others and, and had no virtual presence on this latest thing. And this thing was called the Internet. <laughs> and, and it was a big thing, but Apple wasn't doing anything with it. And so he found ways to change Apple. He, he trimmed down things. He fired hundreds of people. Uh, they were now just producing two products, a home computer, PC, and, and a laptop. And that's what they focused on. But in 2001, Jobs introduced the iPod. And two years later, iTunes. Uh, this is kind of a strange little picture, because when you put the picture on Media Shout, it stretches a little bit. But that's the iPod. And it revolutionized things. Uh, by 2011, over 300 million of these units had been sold, and over 16 billion songs had been sold around the world. And, and to branch out from the computer industry to something new, to the music industry, was a, a bold gamble, but it catapulted Apple into a globally recognized brand. In 2007, he introduced the world's first smartphone, the iPhone. It instantly had remarkable success, continues to be a standard bearer for smartphones. And finally, in 2010, he introduced the iPad, a tablet uh, computer optimized for media consumption, they say. You can do all kinds of things with a tablet. And so this is his life. This is his contribution. And uh, Job's life was then cut short by pancreatic cancer. First diagnosed in 2004, he survived till 2011. His career was an amazing run of creativity and innovation, a run that stretched out nearly 35 years. Our entire world was changed in these few short years because of these inventions and others similar to them. And when you think about it, what Steve Jobs did is nothing short of a revolution. Would you agree? I mean, this, this is a revolution that has happened to our world. Nothing can go back. We can't, we can't make it like it was. And how these things have changed our lives is very dramatic. He is proof that one person can start a revolution. One person can change the world. Now, we admire Steve Jobs for his creativity. Although all his ideas were not his, uh, the things that he pushed, he, he got people to do them and, and discover things. We admire him for his business sense, even though he made many mistakes as a businessman. He instinctively knew what people could use and found ways to deliver new tools to them. We admire him for his passion, for having a vision of what his life could accomplish and for passionately pursuing that vision, that dream. What we don't admire is that Steve Jobs, a lot of it was about him. And sometimes he treated other people in, 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 pretty roughly in order to achieve his dreams. He sometimes treated them harshly and shortchanged them uh, with the dividends that they should have received on a personal level. Uh, the movie brings out that when his girlfriend discovers that she's pregnant with his child, he denies that it's his child. He refuses to have this interference in his life, and he throws her out of the house and refuses to be a father to that child. Thankfully, later, he does uh, renew that, that uh, relationship with his daughter, Lisa, and then he, he gets married. He has three other children, 
and becomes a good father to them. So he learns eventually to do things differently, but we don't admire how he got where he got and what he achieved. Uh, at one point, his good friend, Steve Wozniak, co-founder of Apple, left Apple because Steve Jobs had become so driven that he was impossible to work with. And in the movie, Wozniak basically says to him, he says, you know, I got involved in this because I love creating new things. I love doing things that people can enjoy. I love creating things that, that people can use, and it's fun to watch that, and I'll work as hard as I can to achieve that. But it's no longer fun. And, and we're no longer doing that. He says, Steve, you have changed. Your life is now about the product. It's no longer about people who will benefit from those products. Let me tell you about a second driven man. I already mentioned him at the beginning of the service today. His name is the Apostle Paul. We read about him in the Bible. He lived on this earth about 2,000 years ago, and he was a man of zeal, a man of passion also. He was a driven man, a man who never backed down from a challenge. In his early years as a Jewish leader, Paul, who was then named Saul of Tarsus, was the go-to guy for the high priest of the day. As Christianity started to spread and to, to disrupt Judaism and become this, this uh, false sect, they thought, uh, this upstart group, you know, we got to stamp them out. He would go to the, to the high priest and, and, uh, and seek orders from him to go out to other cities and there to arrest Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem, either to be imprisoned or to be killed. In Acts chapter 7 and 8, we read about Stephen, an early preacher of the church, and he is preaching and, and he is stoned to death. And it says that Saul stood there holding out whatever else, else's garments and, and uh, you know, consenting to Stephen's death, and then just persecution then erupts, and uh, Saul's the leader of that. Saul's life was dramatically changed, however, when Jesus confronted him on the road to a city called Damascus. Even as he was going there to persecute other Christians, Jesus turned his life around, and Paul became convinced that Jesus was indeed the Messiah they had been longing for. He then turned his zeal and his energy toward bringing lost people to Jesus rather than trying to keep people from coming to Jesus. Uh, how might we compare Steve Jobs to the Apostle Paul? Steve Jobs was a revolutionary in the field of electronics. The things he created changed our world forever. The Apostle Paul was an even greater revolutionary, but in the eternal realm even though he had a more limited sphere of influence than Steve Jobs. He had a smaller population to work with. He had no communication tools to help him out. Paul and others started a revolution that has continued for 2,000 years. Not just 35 years, but for the last 2,000 years, it's been going strong. Paul's revolution turned the world upside down in his generation for Jesus Christ. Now, Paul had just a small team of followers to a small team that worked together to spread the good news. And there were a few other apostles, a few other preachers out there, and yet the entire Roman Empire was changed by what they did. Now, there are differences, comparisons between Steve Jobs and the Apostle Paul. Jobs and his team worked only on a human level without divine assistance. Paul was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jobs and his team had creativity and ingenuity greater than anyone else mustered. And yet Paul and his team were inspired and guided by the spirit of the living God. Jobs and his team revolutionized daily life and work for anyone who could afford their products. But Paul and his team revolutionized 
the eternal destiny of everyone who accepted God's grace. And what Paul offered them was absolutely free to the consumer. Steve Jobs, for all of his success and his money, he became a billionaire, I guess, could not save his own life. When pancreatic cancer came, he couldn't save his life, no matter what that may have cost. There was no price to be paid for that. The Apostle Paul couldn't save his life either, but he knew someone who could. And he gave his life to Jesus and was saved. In the opening paragraphs of his letter to the Roman congregation, the Roman believers, Paul tells what drove him to do what he did for Jesus Christ. Let's read that together, starting chapter 1 of Romans, verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness. How constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. That's Paul's goal, is a harvest of new believers in Rome. I am obligated, he says, both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Now note that last phrase, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Note two things that Paul emphasizes here. First of all, the power of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God's for salvation. The power of the gospel is the power to change hearts. Uh, The power of the gospel is the power to change souls, to change the destiny of lost people. The power of the gospel is the power to change eternity for you and for me. Your eternity has changed. My eternity has changed through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. When we put our faith in Christ, when we, when we obey and follow Jesus Christ, we surrender to Christ, we are forgiven and given eternal life. Note, Paul also talks about the power of his own convictions, his own commitment, his own sacrifice. And he says it this way, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed. Paul was convinced that the gospel is the power of God. And to him, there was nothing more important than preaching and sharing that gospel. There was no other goal, no other dream that measured up. So whatever it cost him, wherever it took him, he was going to preach that gospel to anyone who would listen. And he would go down the street, he would go into a synagogue, he would go into a a pagan temple, he would find people in the street corner, he would find people in their homes, he would find fellow tent makers working in the marketplace or selling their goods there, and he began talking about Jesus because he couldn't help himself. He was not ashamed of that gospel. He was driven by these convictions, his commitment, and his sacrifice. He was not driven by personal success or wealth or fame. He was simply driven by a desire to see lost people found. 
Now, I doubt any of us in this room today are as capable or as driven as Steve Jobs, although there may be someone here I don't know, and, and maybe you're just as driven. But all of us, as believers, have within us the power to change this world. All of us have that same Holy Spirit inside of us, which Paul did. And so the impact of our lives doesn't depend on us, upon our abilities, our intelligence, our drive. It depends on that Holy Spirit that is inside of us. Therefore, all of us can be revolutionaries, like Paul, in whatever sphere of influence God may give us. If we can touch even one soul for eternity, each of us could do that. That is better than selling a thousand or even a million iPhones or iPads. Because this changes someone's eternity, not just their daily life. Our goal is not personal success, but simply to accomplish God's mission of saving lost souls. Our goal is not personal wealth, but the eternal security of every man, woman, and child that we can tell about Jesus. Our goal is not selling a product, but redeeming people who without Jesus are doomed to hell. So what drives your life? This is Labor Day weekend. You're taking a little bit of time off, maybe. You're thinking about your life, thinking about what you're accomplishing with your life, maybe thinking about your job and whether you like your job, what happens at your job, what you like, what you don't like about that job, and you've got to go back there on Tuesday morning. But what drives your life? What are you passionate about? Does that passion have eternal significance? Or are you a Steve Jobs whose whole drive is about mundane temporal things that don't matter when all is said and done? You see, you can do an earthly job. You can do a temporal job. You can do a very physical thing that maybe it cleans the street today, but tomorrow it's dirty again. That's okay. But you do it in such a way and with a passion that that job then takes on eternal significance because you're there for the people you work beside and the people that you serve and the consumer and the, the customer. And you're there for your friends and your family and your neighbors. Does your passion have eternal significance? Is it changing anything for eternity? Because it can. If you'll just let God get a hold of your life, as Paul did. It will change, he will change the way you do your job, the way you live your life. Your life can have eternal significance. I want you to know that today. You can make a difference in this world. In 2005, Steve Jobs was asked to bring the commencement address at Stanford University's graduation ceremonies. He told the graduates about the day that he found out he, that he had pancreatic cancer. And the doctor put the words in this way. He said... This is a very rare thing. This is the kind of cancer that we can't stop. You're going to die. You need to get home and get your affairs in order. And kind of gave him about 30 days to live. As it turned out, the doctor was wrong. They were able to do surgery sometime later. Eventually got a liver transplant too. And he lived another six years. But at the time... He was faced squarely with his own mortality like he had never been faced before. And he said to the students that day at this commencement address, he says, remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to make, help me make the big decisions, big choices in life. Because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, 
all fear of embarrassment or failure. These things fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. Remembering that you are going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. You're already naked. There is no reason not to follow your heart. I like that. There is no reason not to follow your heart. There is no reason that if you are a Christian and if you are passionate for God and your heart is for God, there is no reason to follow that. Not fear of embarrassment, not fear of failure, not fear of what someone may say or your friends may think. But there is no reason not to follow your heart. So if you have a heart for God, follow your heart. Don't think about yourself. Don't think about what others may think. Follow your heart. Follow your heart for God and be zealous, be passionate for Him. So on this Labor Day weekend, when we're thinking about our lives and their influence, let me encourage you to become a revolutionary. Become a revolutionary. Become a revolutionary for God right where you live, right where you work, with the people that you're already in friendship with and in relationship with and your family members and your coworkers and your students that you go to school with. Don't accept the status quo. Don't just kind of trudge through life because this is what you're supposed to do. Don't settle for mediocrity. Be a revolutionary. Be different. Become a revolutionary and change your world for God. You have influence for God on your job, in your home, in your neighborhood. You can have even more influence than you think you do. So don't discount yourself. Don't discredit yourself. You have the Spirit of Almighty God living inside of you. And Paul later wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 3, verse 20. He wrote these amazing words about no limits. We can do anything. He says it this, this way, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. That's what Paul was tapping into. That's where his drive and passion and zeal came from. That's what spurred him on. And that's why he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. God can do more than we ask or imagine. His power is at work inside you and me. So do whatever you can for God and let him worry about the results. Well, you saw just a little bit of it in the film clip, this speech that Steve Jobs made near the end of his life. He was, I think, making a commercial and recording this for, for the commercial they were creating. And he said this, here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them, but the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the ones who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world are the ones who do. One person can start a revolution. That person can be you. That person can be me. Near the end of his life, the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4. He said this, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. He's going to die soon. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me 
the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So this morning, let me leave you with this. Fight the good fight. Finish the race. Keep the faith. Be a revolutionary for Jesus and change your world. Let's pray. Father, I ask for your inspiration. I ask for your zeal to consume us, for that passion for lost people to be uh, within our very heartbeats, flowing through our bloodstreams, so that every day that passion for lost people is like it was for the Apostle Paul, something he couldn't let go of, something he was not ashamed of, something he couldn't help but speak and preach and share with the people around him. Lord, as a church, we need to become passionate for the lost. As individual Christians, we need to become passionate for the lost. And I pray that today you would help us become revolutionaries for Jesus so that we might change our world as one by one people come to know him as Lord and Savior. Bless us, strengthen us, guide us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.